I'm doing this experiment in multiple recordings because I am homeless car camping. So I'll be doing uh, audio recordings and video recordings. So right now, this is my preface to this experiment of what I hope to achieve and what I expect to achieve. So what I su I'm suspecting is that William Line told me that the... Um, nine years ago in email correspondence with him. After I first met him in the 2013 conference, he came to the 2013 and the 2015. I went to those two as well as the 2014. So when I, after I first met him, I started to email and emailing him. And he said, because I, I had went to the trouble, because he says in the video, the, the interview with Paul Scarzo, about, he talks about, they, they both talk about the electromechanical wattara meter which has been phased out of American use uh, 10 years ago. So uh, he talked about it. So I went and purchased a bunch of them, different models, different years, from off of eBay at that time. And I was conferring with him, and he said, you know, it's a scaled-down version of Tesla's special generator, and um, <clears throat> uh, go and experiment, you know, modify, build, whatever, and stop thinking in, about it. Well, I like to think. I like to understand completely before I get involved with something to know what to expect because I'm not trained or, I don't know, I'm scared of electricity, whatever. So he was a little frustrated with me, but nonetheless, that was nine years ago, and I thought I was qualified to tackle the mystery of Tesla's special generator, his trimetal generator, all of the above, none of the above, whatever uh, I could, uh, the electromechanical water meter, whatever I could uh, deal with. So, in my examination of it, when I took apart the I-10 from General Electric, which is built in 1910, the 1912 Meter Man's Handbook, I got a hard copy off of eBay, and it talks about the I-10. So, I, I know about its parts and what they do. And um, it is an over-unity device if the C-magnet is removed, because that's the braking mechanism for the aluminum disc to prevent it from accelerating its RPMs. Um, so it is an uh, over-unity device without the C-magnet. But can it generate um, its own power? And how? Well, during that interview with Paul Scarzo, he was saying that the, it's, the only significance of the hydroelectric uh, power plant is the signal and not the power. And the, the real power is being generated by all of our electromechanical water meters to supply us with power in our homes, um, boosting the, the strength of the signal that's coming from the uh, hydroelectric plant because he says it's not enough power to power all of our homes. It, it doesn't add up. The power uh, that the power plant is capable of and the load that is placed upon the grid is the electric utility grid is just doesn't add up. So that was his contention, and that was his reminder to me via emails correspondence. So what I'm thinking now, this morning, I got this hunch. What if the electromechanical water emitter was never intended for AC use as a generator, merely as a meter? But in generator mode, what may be required is for us to look at it as a homopolar DC generator, okay? And it's predicated on the premise of Edward Lee Scalin's popularization of Mr. Davis's invention back in the 1840s, known we, what we know today as the perpetual motion holder. But upon my examination, uh, you know, running this through my brain this morning, 
I'm of the opinion that the perpetual motion holder experiment that Edward Leedskalnin has popularized is only one half of wattage. That's why nobody can get anything out of it. It's simply the current, the, mag the mag magnetism aspect of electricity. And that's why it's internalized, because there's no voltage to bring it out for use. Okay? That's why the property of iron, the ferromagnetizable property of iron, is to internalize its remnants, its, its memory, its magnetic memory of the orientation, the polarization of the DC that you apply to a toroidal core, iron core, with a coil wrapped around it. That's what the perpetual motion holder experiment is, and that's how computer core memory was done between the years of 1955 and 1975. Tiny little ferrite rings with two copper wires going through each to give that ring a certain polarization and to for that to represent either a one or a zero bit of information. Well, <clears throat> um, so let's see. It's getting hot in the car. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can turn on the car to open the windows so I can continue to record here. And now turn off the car. Okay, I have some juice in my battery. How much? Uh, 96%. Not bad. So, <clears throat> okay, where was I? Where am I at here? Um, now, if you examine the darn thing, you'll notice that there's a current coil that's wrapped around the toroidal ring that is set into the core, that's set into the cast iron backside of the electromechanical I-10 meter. And then there's <clears throat> a stump that extends out from the circumferential toroid pointed in towards the center and stops short of the center because at the center is the aluminum disc uh, whose spin axis um, is parallel with the stump. Actually, the stump is off-center. <clears throat> I think. In any case, the stump has a voltage coil wrapped around about 700 turns of thin insulated copper wire, wire while at right angles to that on the toroidal ring is two turns, two and a half turns, a very stout solid core copper wire, let's say gauge 10 or 12, something. I think it's 12, um, whose insulation was coming off in the model that I bought. Um, <clears throat> and now the voltage coil is, is connected in, par in uh, parallel with the AC input-output of the meter. And the current coil is on one leg, it's in series. Um, so that is supplied with the current from the AC power line, grid, and the voltage is supplied with the voltage. The voltage coil is supplied with the voltage. Now, that meter, I think, was rated for something along the lines of 106 volts, 111 thereabouts. Uh, the, cur the current, I don't know. I can't remember what it was rated for. I'll take a guess 5 uh, amps, but I don't know. I can't remember. Certainly not the amperage that... I don't think the amperage that we use today, because this is 100 years ago. <clears throat> well, 113, actually, to be more precise. Um, so I did a few experiments. I disassembled it, but that was all I could do at the time, 9 years ago. So now I think it's a homopolar. Why do I think that? Because I did a few recordings, a few podcasts, a few uh, podcasts back based on my uh, theorizing, speculating, no, speculating how to create, how to build a DC transformer is to prevent its leakage. 
because the core leaks like <clears throat> a bottomless bucket, not a bucket with holes in it, a bucket without a bottom. So no sooner than you pass DC from the primary, it never reaches the secondary because it leaked out through the core. Well, how do we prevent it? We have to supply DC. And so I, I had this theory or this hypothesis <clears throat> of setting up an open transmission line set up, an open circuit, in which a borax diode, one end the iron is connected to the core, and um, the other end of the borax diode is connected to an aluminum aerial, and we thus have our voltage DC supply to the core, and hopefully it won't leak, and thus uh, it'll be a low level voltage, environmental level, a microvolt or thereabouts, and it won't get in the way of the operation of the system, and so it will then be able to pass DC. Well, <clears throat> that's an open line version. Now I present to you a closed circuit, a closed loop version, in which the perpetual motion holder core is the idea. So you have a toroidal iron ring, you have a coil around it to charge it up with a DC um, charge, and you remove the coil. And the, and the magnetism orientation, the remnants, is still in there circulating around in a circle. So you don't have to keep resupplying it. Unlike an open line, you'd have to keep resupplying it. In the previous version that I made was from the environment. But here we can supply it ourselves and then take away the supply and it's still there because it's a ring. <clears throat> and that's what I think the electromechanical water meter was designed to do. You put in the voltage that you want the, the, the unit to run at as a generator. You put it into the toroidal core and then you take away the source of that voltage. Now you've got it in the core, zipping around. You don't have any of the connections of the terminals, the two ins and the two outs connected to anything yet of the meter. All we've done is charged up the toroidal core and we've put in the voltage that we want it to run at. Well, it has a limit and so we, we should stick with that limit. Well, that limit was AC, rated for AC. We have to take the RMS of that to figure out what the DC limit is, and I'm guessing it's somewhere in the vicinity of 80. You know, doing off the, the math off the top of my head without much accuracy, I'd say 80 volts <clears throat> is the DC RMS equivalency of what the limit will be. Okay, it's for that I-10 meter. <clears throat> so, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm 66 and I have to cough a lot sometimes. Um, and so if I figure 80 volts limit, 5 amps, I'm guessing, <laughs> off the, I have no idea what it is, uh, limit, that's 400 watts, okay? As a generator, though. And anything less than that is fine. Just we don't want to go beyond that because I, this is what I think will happen. <clears throat> Up to that limit, what we are doing is impeding the generator in a linear fashion, okay? Beyond that limit, we are stimulating it as an overunity generator in an exponential fashion. That's what I think will happen. So you don't want to go beyond that tipping point. See, uh, William Lyne managed to do that with his two meters. Uh, he, he thinks they were backwards or something. Uh, he, he's not sure how he connected it to get the results that he got in his apartment complex that he was managing. But the, the important thing is, even though the meters were separate from the other meters in the building, they were all ultimately connected to the grid. And the grid was the stabilizing influence to ensure that 
his setup did not um, instigate, initiate an overunity event in which the grid would start to fry, you know, because he was hooked up to a larger system that stabilized his microgrid, his subgrid setup that he had connected to the greater grid. So <clears throat> even though it's electrically isolated, it's, it's magnetically coupled, you know, when, it, when it's supposed to be done correctly um, through the pole transformers outside the apartment complex. Um, but still, you've got the grid as a, as a braking mechanism. See? The C magnet, you've got a magnetic influence as a braking mechanism um, so that a subgrid such as an apartment complex will not spin out of control, uh, having humongous amounts of escalating uh, wattages due to somebody <laughs> increasing the load beyond the tipping point. So when he went beyond the tipping point, the balance point, the balance point is when it hummed loudly. You have to go and watch. I'll put the link in this uh, podcast to the, the, the excerpt from the Paul Scarzo uh, interview of William Lyne. Um, he said, when it was at the tipping point, it hummed and it vibrated very loudly, shook the whole building. But when it went above the tipping point, when the load, when the load went above the tipping point, it generated power. When the load went below the tipping point, it simply functioned like a normal meter. Well, because it's doing linear extraction and linear impedance, I should say, linear impedance. But when you get into above that tipping point, it's no longer linear. It's exponential, and so it generates. That's why it generates. But it did not go out of control because it had the grid to act as a stabilizing influence. That's, okay, completion of that thought. Um, let's see. So what I plan on doing... I have a small toy DC motor. Now this is a DC device as a generator. Um, he got AC out of it. Fine. I don't know how he did it. He doesn't even know how he did it. He just knows he did it. <laughs> so we're not going to worry about it. <laughs> All I'm, I, I have to work off of inspiration because I'm clueless about what I am going to learn. I'm not formally trained good and um, <coughs> good riddance <coughs> because I didn't like the way they taught Ohm's Law. Sorry, I don't. now I know better, but that's because I figured it out. Anyway, that's a different topic. I've already covered it many times. Um, so I have to wait for inspiration to guide me and then off of that inspiration, I create my scenario in my brain now that I've had seven years of training on simulators to train my brain on how to think like a simulator Hopefully, I'll uh, have a somewhat accuracy to this experiment. We'll see. In any case, that's my plan, is to get a little DC br uh, brush motor. I think it's a brush motor, yeah, that I got off of eBay. I got, no, excuse me, Amazon. I got like six of them or four of them or something. Tiny little things. So I'm going to have to go back to my orders on Amazon to see the characteristics of that motor. What is its voltage? What is its amperage? And charge up this I-10 meter. I'm going to hunt around now. I'm outside the storage unit. I'm going to look around for it. Hopefully, I'll find it without having to move too much stuff. Um, and now I'm going to take it to my other storage unit where, where I have the DC motor supplies. I don't think I have them here. If I do, I don't know where they are, and I'm not going to bother looking for them. I'm just looking for one thing. But the other place, I know I have it, and I know where it is, so that makes things easier. <laughs> so I'm going to charge up the I-10 with the same voltage that 
that the um, what the DC equivalent? No, 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 exactly, no, exactly. Not forget the equivalent, the RMS. I'm going to charge up because it's going to be less than the RMS limit. So it's certainly not going to be 80 volts. So I'm going to charge up the i10 with the required voltage for these little toy motors, um, and. I'm going to see if I can get something out of this darn thing <laughs> to run a little motor. So um, what I'm hoping will happen is that I will have the motor connected as a load. I don't want to disconnect it. I want the load there, even though the aluminum disc inside the i10 is already serving as a load because it ha- it's being bra- uh, impeded by the C magnet, which is e- an even greater load. Um, still, nonetheless... I might have to remove the C magnet in order for this experiment to work. Now that I'm thinking about it or talking about it out loud, um, it might get in the way because it might be too heavy duty a load. In fact, that C magnet may be there simply because of the AC operation of the thing. Where, uh, whereas uh, the load, the DC load we connect to this, if we expect it to operate as a homopolar generator, may be the replacement for that C magnet. And thus, we can regulate the output of that um, uh, uh, electromechanical water emitter based on the load that we connect to it. And that is the idea here. So in order for that to work, the C magnet has to be removed because it's going to get in the way. I can see that now. Yeah, you know, when I, it helps to talk it out loud. But my brain is trained, so so long as I talk it out loud, I suppose, then I can do a little better job of uh, creating a scenario in my brain of how, what to expect. All right, so I'm going to have to disassemble it, take out the C-magnet if I can. I don't know if I can. Maybe it's welded in there. I don't know. I can't remember how it's stuck in there. Um, I don't recall removing it per se. I, I don't know. Um, and to nine years ago when I first got it, I think it was nine years ago. might have been ten. I'm not sure. Um, so the C-magnet has to be removed, and then I hook it up to a little DC motor, and then I charge up the inputs... I might have to short I might have to short out let's say the oh no no no, no. I, I see no 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 the motor will be oh god how does this set up it has to be a complete loop so the two, there's two inputs and two outputs because they're two legs cuz um so let's see the outputs the two outputs probably have to have the load across the, What was that? Something fell on my arm. Can't be a leaf. <laughs> There's no trees here. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. So the load would be connected to the outputs. The inputs... You know, I'm thinking of two loads. One on each. On the, on the two outputs and the two inputs. And then... Um, in parallel to one of the loads would be my voltage source. Okay? I think that's the way it would have to be. And then, with a snap switch. And then I, um, just for an instant, give it voltage, and it should be enough to get it going. Maybe not. Maybe we have to wait for the RPMs of the two loads, uh, two motor loads, to reach their max, their cruising speed before I disconnect the voltage source. Actually, that that's probably what I should do. Expect to have happen. Um, what else? Um, I guess that's everything. So I'll take two motors. That's okay. I have more than one. It came in a package. 
<clears throat> but that's when I'm... So this is an audio recording because I haven't gone to the other one to do any video recording. Uh, so I'm just putting a thoughts out there, what I expect will happen, what I uh, will attempt to do. Um, I'm not working, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I, I feel I have to do this. Um, and, you know, it keeps me interested in the subject to keep uh, uh, to, uh, w periodically doing experiments because then I wonder, well, what the hell am I existing for if I don't <laughs> keep myself alive with interest and motivation? Um, <clears throat> and I don't have to build anything. Isn't that neat? This is, everything is off the shelf, so to speak. If you can find an electromechanical water meter <laughs> anywhere in existence or build your own equivalent. Now, <clears throat> there's one other thing I left out. Sorry. Then I'll be finished. With this, uh, <laughs> with this speculation, uh, speculating with this, pl <laughs> my planned, uh, what I plan to do. In the I-10 meter, there is a very interesting weirdness to it that I, at first, couldn't figure out what it was, and then I gave it some thought, and I realized what it might be, because William Lyne, in that interview, talks with Paul Scarzo, talks about how if you connect an iron mass two Tesla special generator that for every 200 pounds added by way of uh, magnetic coupling, I believe, um, you increase the horsepower by one. Now, if that's installed, bolted down to the floor, the DC battery room of a U uh, electro U-boat from the not, you know, World War II era, then you've got a lot of iron mass to serve as your additional horsepower. Now, what is that? I always wondered, what, what the heck is going on with that? Because that's not a magnetic loop, per se. <clears throat> that's simply a large iron mass. Now, the hull is a loop of sorts, but it's a shell. It's a sphere. It's an ellipsoidal sphere. Be that as it may, I have to assume that that's not intrinsically part of the deal because Tesla didn't say that. He simply said two hundred for every 200 pounds, one horsepower is added to the output. So there's nothing there about closed circuit, open circuit of electrical or magnetic, or excuse me, dielectric or magnetic. So there's nothing there to tell us that anything other than the mass is significant. Well, on the I-10 meter, on the cast iron, on the outside, on the right side, if you're looking at the meter and it's on the wall, let's say, let's mount it on the wall in, in our imagination, and you're looking at the meter <clears throat> on the upper right corner, I believe, or the far right, might be on the left, whatever, <laughs> there's a little eye, kind of like a needle eye, eye hole towards the edge, as if to suggest a, a piece of wire was strung through there and wrapped around and where did the wire go to? And what was the nature of the wire and the purpose of it? Because this is the cast iron backing that the, that the toroidal core is set into. You know, it's got an inset on the inside. It's not one piece. The toroidal core is one piece and the cast iron backing is another piece. And the cast iron backing is the mounting plate. It's heavy and big as hell. <laughs> they did things big in those days. But it's iron. It's cast iron. And I don't know if that's the same composition of iron of the toroid or not, uh, but um, be that as it may, it has this little uh, f f uh, facility to wrap a, a wire around it. So I suspected at the time that it went to ground f for the purposes of a meter. 
so that they could ground the chassis. But I also had to question myself 10-ish years ago. Okay, that's the uh, (laughs) explicit modality. What's the implicit modality that's uh, covert? Well, it's an iron wire that would go to an iron mass. And that's what I'm thinking might occur, is that this thing can increase its power, its amperage, based on the larger iron mass that we connect to it. But is that what gets is that what happened? Do we, is the voltage increased? Is the current increased? Or is the wattage increased? In other words, both voltage and current. I have no way of knowing. <laughs> I have no way of speculating. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I don't know. See, because... Well, no, no, wait. No, I have to. No, no, no. I can speculate. That's right. Because it's a single wire connection, it can only be one thing. It has to be voltage alone. It can't be anything else. Okay. But these meters are only geared <laughs> for a DC, uh, 80 volts DC equivalency of the 106 or 9 or 11 uh, volts AC that they were designed to handle uh, under normal conditions. So I can't see why you would want to increase the voltage. Wouldn't you be risking <laughs> lightning, you know, erupting out of this thing, <laughs> arcing and sparking and whatnot, seeking a ground path, like maybe through your body, <laughs> standing nearby, while looking at the thing? <laughs> I don't know. Um, use your body as a virtual ground. Oh, could happen. <laughs> um, even if you're not standing in a puddle of water on the on the earth, uh, doesn't matter. It might want to go to you anyway, because <laughs> it's it's hungry and it's oh, <laughs> a person. <laughs> it's hungry. The electricity is hungry. To, to kill someone. Um, hey, we don't know its intentions. It's a consciousness, a consciousness we can't understand. But I th- suspect it's a consciousness similar to a wildfire. And so you've got to, you've got to give it a lot of safety room because <laughs> it's going to get joy out of killing you. <laughs> Basically, it's going to go, ooh, like a mild orgasm, <laughs> electrical orgasm, <laughs> the electrical equivalent of an orgasm. In, well, isn't that what orgasm is? It's electrical. <laughs> we're killing something. We're, ki- we're throwing away our prana, our life force. So you see, I'm not that far off base here. Okay. Um, so that's what I think is required of that little eye hook. But I don't know. I have no way of knowing what, in what manner it was intended to increase the output. But I suspect that is what it's... DC generation uh, intention is. So this is the implicit version of the electromechanical water meter is as a DC homopolar generator. Homopolar because we are not spinning a copper disc attached to an iron disc. We are using the remnants quality, the remnant inherent remnants of iron to create that circularity because now we're not dealing with a round disc we're dealing with a round toroid which gives it specific direction um, see that's why when you do a homopolar see now here's another reason <laughs> I didn't, didn't even finish that one when you look at the voltage coil on an electromechanical wire meter it's pointing towards the center even though it's off center it's pointing in that direct general direction why is that? because a voltage coil will have a voltage difference between its two terminals. And where are the two terminals of an electromechanical water, 
watt hour meter voltage coil arranged ge geometrically with regard to the device. One terminal is towards the periphery of the toroidal core and the other is towards the center. Well, isn't that how a homopolar generator works? You, you generate a voltage difference between the periphery of the disks, the copper um, and iron disks sandwiched together that are spinning, and the center of those disks. And that's exactly the way the electromechanical water emitter is set up to be, with a voltage gradient from the inside going to the outside, or vice versa, but, but radial, a radial gradient. Not, not a tangential to the center, but a, a radial one, a radial orientation of voltage gradient. So um, that's why I think it's a DC, that's another reason why I think it's a DC homopolar generator, implicitly, not explicit, not explicitly, but implicitly. <clears throat> it has the potential for, for doing that without any modification to the meter itself, just how we use it, how we think about it. <clears throat> so basically, it's truly off the shelf. <laughs> but... You'll have to go and hunt for one or build one yourself because um, they may be hard to come by since they're not sitting on anybody's homes anymore. Hmm. How about that? Anyway, I have nothing more to say. So there you go.